We wanted leadership to be values-based, vision-driven and inspirational. That's always been my career mantra and I believe that that's what I bring to the Guild in, uh, in how we'll be supporting the members here. For me, success is going to be that I've really established that good working relationship, that there's a deep sense of trust and faith in me to work with the National Council and to lead the Guild so that the members really have that sense. They've got terrific support in here and they've got the faith in me to be the person to achieve that for them. Hi, I'm Suzanne Greenwood, Executive Director at the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. The Pharmacy Guild of Australia has recently welcomed the new Executive Director of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, Suzanne Greenwood. Suzanne is only about three weeks into the role, but has definitely embraced the role head on and has hit the ground running, having already attended Pharmacy Connect, presenting the Judith Liao address at Pharmacy Connect focusing on the importance of diversity, engage with NAPSA that seeks to focus on the future workforce and owners of community pharmacy, participated in council meetings and attended the Guild's annual dinner at Parliament House. In today's episode, Suzanne shares with us not only her background that led her to the role of Executive Director of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, but also her passion for community pharmacy and the opportunities for future growth within the industry. Please welcome Suzanne Greenwood as she shares with us her personal and professional journey and her vision for the future of community pharmacy. Here's Suzanne. Suzanne, welcome to the show and welcome to the Guild. You have only been in the role of Guild Executive Director for about three weeks. So I thought we'd start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and what your journey to the Guild has been. Thanks, Daniel. Look, in many respects, it's the, the the job interview answer, I suppose I should be giving, saying that I'm an experienced national CEO with solid experience in the health sector, good advocacy experience, a lawyer by profession. But actually, uh, it's probably some personal stories that have led me uh, to come to the Guild. I uh, Actually, back in 2002, my world changed uh, dramatically. I, uh, I'd uh, been a commercial corporate lawyer up to that point. Uh, I thought uh, being a successful lawyer meant um, lining the pockets of the partners of the law firm or lining the pockets of the clients with more silver. And, uh, and yet in 2002, I was pregnant with my first child, suffered uh, from preeclampsia quite badly and uh, had an emergency seizure. And uh, my daughter's now nearly 17, so the story ends very well. But it was a bit of an epiphany moment for me because I'd come into this, uh, the, the healthcare workers kind of environment at the hospital and this team of people who didn't know me from a bar of soap swarmed around me and a short period of time did absolutely everything that resulted in saving my life and saving my daughter's life. And so it was a real epiphany moment for me that what they did was meaningful beyond measure. And I just thought the health sector, this is where I need to start contributing. And 
And so I was very fortunate after that to uh, work in the legal unit at Queensland Health for a, a number of years and then took a position with uh, St Vincent's Health Australia, the hospital and aged care provider. And, uh, and then the kind of the career trajectory just took off after that. As you mentioned, you've had a long history of working in the health sector. Now that you're behind a desk at the Guild, what are your first impressions of the Guild and the industry? Oh, look, it's an extremely passionate and vibrant community pharmacy sector out there, I think is my, my first uh, uh, impressions. I'm really fascinated every meeting I go to and workshop I go to and everything that the pharmacists are just terrific communicators. They're clearly very used to you know, being in the pharmacy, thinking on their feet, talking to, to patients when they come into the pharmacy. So I must admit that's kind of translated to here. I've received this extremely warm welcome and uh, so many of the pharmacists that I spoke to are just, you know, really happy to, to sort of share their, their sort of experiences and stories and, and uh, which is just, you know, everything to set me up for success. So I, uh, I am just so impressed with the professionalism of the sector and the passion of, of uh, you know, what they're doing to improve health outcomes. It's fabulous. Now, you'd have barely had time to get your feet under the desk before you attended Pharmacy Connect. What were some of the standout topics and or maybe some of the issues that really caught your attention and piqued your interest? Pharmacy Connect was a great experience. Actually, everyone kept telling me that this is the little conference, this is the small <laughs> one, and yet there was like 820 delegates or something. Uh, but I understand APP in March uh, next year will be more like 6,000 delegates, so uh, so probably is the baby event. Look, I think my uh, favourite was Professor Ross Suzuki, who'd come out from the University of Alberta in Canada, and uh, he had a couple of topics that he was really uh, talking with us all about. But one that really resonated with me was he was talking about how pharmacists are almost their own worst enemy, that we need to really uh, pause and stop and think about the words we're using about ourselves, the images we're using about ourselves. Uh, for example, he was saying that, you know, pharmacists can be quite apologetic, that they're, you know, ringing the, the doctor's practice sort of saying, oh, look, it's just the pharmacist here. I just want to check up about blah, blah. And, and, uh, and yet, no, you know, they're a healthcare professional who's been to university for years, who've got enormous experience under their belt, who've got their continuing uh, professional development training happening. And so as professionals, uh, I think Ross's message was, that the 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 pharmacists don't necessarily see that of themselves as much as they should. So he was talking a lot about careful with your language. Don't don't talk about um, uh, you know seeing someone back at your your shop. It's not a shop. It's a it's a pharmacy, and uh, you're not an allied health professional because that infers you're you're in some way kind of secondary or or, or something. And and uh, and he was having a good laugh too about the. Um, the, the sort of stock images and photographs that are out there that always just seem to be, you know, somebody in a white coat standing in front of a shelf of pills and potions. And, and you know, that's the tip of the iceberg about what happens in a, in a modern and vibrant community pharmacy. So he was really saying, you know, look, watch the language. Don't talk about your customers. They are your patients. And, and think about how you um, talk about yourself as well. 
And then, of course, the other big area, his, uh, his uh, world-renowned uh, specialist in uh, scope of practice, so talking very much about uh, the opportunities for pharmacists to work to their full scope of practice. And I'm sure members will see a lot more information coming out about that in the coming weeks too. While you were at Pharmacy Connect, you presented the Judy Liao address where you discussed the feminisation of the community pharmacy workforce and what that means for the future. For those of us who weren't able to attend, can you give us maybe a condensed version of your presentation and the key points? Yes, look, it really was a light-hearted and and also, I suppose, a heartfelt uh, bit of a presentation titled Back to the Future, Our Traditions Informing Innovation. And so what I wanted to kind of convey by that was really that, you know, innovation doesn't need to be radical change and reform, that really what has been the traditional practice of community pharmacy is absolutely excellent and valued, and we need to draw from that forward. So I suppose there were a few points that I I, I made there. One really was that there's a tremendous strength of community pharmacy um, in that there's a a complementarity that exists between the interests of the community and the interests of community pharmacy. We all want to see improved health and wellness outcomes for all Australians. And um, it was a great thing to talk to those people at the conference about because ours is not a small vision. You know, we're talking about improved health and wellness outcomes for all Australians. And because it's an all-encompassing vision that impacts all Australians, community pharmacy really is an integral part of every community and therefore ideally placed to to work on that moving forward. And um, I'm sure listeners will be aware of the um, CP2025 framework for change that the Guild has put out. So so a bit of my talk was about reinforcing that. I did uh, I did share a bit of a bit of an historical snippet, which I'd like to share with uh, with you, Daniel. A, uh, a wonderful colleague of mine, Professor Gabriel McMullen, wrote a paper back in 2000 for the historical records of the um, Australian Science Academy. And in it, she uh, had an extract from a gentleman named Johann August Krauss, who lived from about 1822 to 1895 and is considered one of the grandfathers of pharmacy in this country. But in about 1850, he was describing what every pharmacy should have. And uh, he said uh, every pharmacy had to have the shop. Now that's his words, not mine, from 1850. So interesting. So, so uh, Professor Ross Suzuki uh, probably might not be impressed. But anyway, he also said that they needed a room housing the proprietor's library, uh, the herbarium or collection of dried plants, the pharmacological museum where apprentices and assistants would be working. They needed a laboratory. They needed a cellar for cold storage. Uh, He also referred to the herbs room for storage of all the drugs from the vegetable kingdom, uh, which I I don't really think could be PBS approved these days. But uh, he also referred to a room for the storage of chemicals, uh, a room for poisons alone. I thought that was good that even back in the day they uh, recognised that poisons need to be securely held. He also said a room for powdering and cutting of herbs and roots And uh, lastly, a large, lofty and airy room for drying fresh herbs, roots and flowers. Now, my point in bringing forward that little story is that, you know, by my calculations, he was really saying that a state-of-the-art pharmacy in about 1850 had to have like at least nine or ten rooms if you start adding all of that up. 
So, you know, we may be concerned, you know, at the level of infrastructure, uh, you know, fit out required, robotics that are required in today's modern pharmacy. But really, it seems the professions always had sophisticated needs and and pharmacy has always stepped up and, and, and met those needs. So uh, I think that was uh, a, a bit of a tale that a few people kind of, you know, had a bit of a, a chuckle uh, about. But look, other things I touched on, it would be very um, remiss of me in delivering the Judy Liao address if I didn't actually touch on uh, women in pharmacy. And uh, it's no secret that in my immediately previous role, I was the national CEO for Catholic Health Australia, which is like the umbrella body that sits over the 80 Catholic hospitals nas- nationally and and the uh, 25,000 odd aged care beds and then all the home care packages and everything else they have. But in our sector, you know, we wouldn't talk about uh, you know, women leaders breaking the glass ceiling. We would talk about breaking the stained glass ceiling. So. It was a, a good bit of fun to be able to share some of those experiences with the people in the audience. But really, let's look at the facts. You know, there's more women than men studying pharmacy and has been for quite some time. Uh, the workforce in community pharmacy is highly feminised. And the majority of people who come into a community pharmacy are women. So really, a lot of what I spoke about was just saying, look, put simply, the success of your pharmacy depends upon your ability to tap into this. And and I did sort of submit that as a network, I think more needs to be done to support women, particularly into pharmacy ownership, uh, which is probably too big a topic for today. But it was a great opportunity to talk to them just about how we need to identify female role models and mentors within community pharmacy because for women, you know, you, you can't be what you can't see is a great quote um, of uh, Marian Endelman that I always like, meaning that, you know, I- expecting women to sort of come up through the ranks when maybe they've got no experience or interaction with female pharmacy owners, they can't even visualise what what that sort of career trajectory might look like for them. And so it is a, important for us to identify who are those role models to then support them, to share their stories. And so we need to encourage that mentorship among female pharmacy owners. But we also need to encourage the students. We need to tap into that next generation of community pharmacists to really have a clear line of sight um, for them into what success looks like as a female pharmacy owner. And so, look, it was just fantastic to have so many of the students from NAPSA actually uh, attending Pharmacy Connect as well. And on that point, the new three-year agreement with NAPSA has been signed. What do you think the partnership continues to mean for the Guild and in what ways do you think the Guild will be strengthening the relationship with NAPSA into the future? Look, I think it was fantastic actually to have so many of the students at Pharmacy Connect and uh, and I was privileged to have an opportunity to speak to quite a, a number of them. They also tweeted a photo of me with a group of about sort of <laughs> 10 of them at, the, uh, at their stand in the trade show area. But if I could mention two of the new initiatives that, that we've implemented, we've got a, a, the Guild NAPSA um, Executive Mentoring Program and, and with that, each of the NAPSA executives are actually linked with a Guild counsellor who's got similar responsibilities and interests. So, for example, the NAPSA treasurer is linked with a guild counsellor from the um, Corporate Governance and and Services Committee. 
And so the objective is really just to provide that mentoring opportunity to the NAPSA executives regarding, you know, their expectations of board representation. But equally, it it gives the Guild representatives, um, you know, an opportunity to learn about the challenges that the students are facing and their perspectives on uh, on industry issues. So it's um, a really two-way street. But the other program I was wanting to mention was the leadership training program that's been facilitated by leading teams. And this training's been um, provided to help the NAPSA executive to develop leadership skills and develop a cultural framework that really will, you know, assist their future executives to to fulfil their roles and continue to be high-performing and then therefore continue to support NAPSA to be a high-performing organisation. So, look, we're really pleased to have signed off on a fresh agreement with NAPSA and, and to have the opportunity to support the students because really they're our next generation of pharmacy owners and we need to make sure we connect and tap into that now to support them. So you start your job, you head off straight to Pharmacy Connect, then there's no sitting still because almost straight after Pharmacy Connect, the Guild's annual parliamentary dinner was held and obviously you attended. Was this the first time you'd attended the event? Yes, yes, it was. But look, a terrific event. We had about 350 people there this year and really, you know, great event for networking and learning. We had a really high level of engagement from all sides of of politics, which is terrific. We had the uh, Shadow Health Minister, Chris Bowen, speak, as well as the Health Minister, uh, Greg Hunt, and also uh, our President, George, also um, presented to everyone there. And uh, some really great feedback that uh, it was just a terrific opportunity to be able to you know, connect and reconnect with with colleagues and others in the in the sector, and to uh, sort of share some learnings. And um, look, I thought it was a fabulous evening, and a, and a few people have commented that uh, it did uh, hit the nail on the head a little bit more than last year, which it sounded like might have had a, a few too many long winded speeches last year. <laughs> Well, in one of the speeches, Greg Hunt asked, why do pharmacists matter and position that you are operating as health professionals who are there for people every single day, and that's a profoundly important contribution. What are your impressions and thoughts on the importance of the role of community pharmacists? Look, I think the health minister uh, was absolutely spot on. Uh, uh, the opportunity for community pharmacy to outreach into the community is profound. You know, we are on the ground, uh, you know, right across Australia. I, I think the the statistic is that I think 72% of people in regional Australia live within 2.5 kilometres of a community pharmacy. So that's an incredible um, privilege to be able to be positioned so well right across the country to be able to support and serve uh, so many Australians. So, so my you know really early impressions are just that we're so ideally placed for community pharmacy to have uh, an, an integral role in primary healthcare in Australia, and uh, and that that spread of pharmacies right across the country. Um, presents some pretty key opportunities, actually, I, I think, for pharmacy. So it was pleasing to hear the health minister make those observations. Well, Mr Hunt also said that over the last two years, we've gone from 8 million vaccinations to 13.2 million vaccinations, with 2 million of those being administered by pharmacists. This is proof that operating the scope of practice has demonstrable benefits. How do we leverage that sort of evidence, though? 
Look, I think you've used the right word there. It's, it is about the evidence. Uh, you know, evidence and, and data is king, particularly in the health sector. So now we've got that evidence. Uh, and look, certainly um, it was 2 million uh, vaccinations administered by pharmacists this flu season. But last year it was only 1 million. So we've had terrific growth there already in the year. But even with that, uh, we've still had a horror flu season. It, uh, you know, every night all of us were turning the news on and hearing some shocking statistics and, and growing numbers of people impacted by the flu this flu season. And so it really is incumbent on us now that we've got so much uh, data of the, of the uh, impact that it has made and of how we're able to reach so many more people. So it really is um, important that we continue to talk with our government uh, officials and representatives to make sure we continue to prosecute the need for that to grow and, uh, and do more in that space. The Guild uh, has launched uh, our corporate vaccinations program, which uh, anyone who's catching a plane at the moment will uh, see in the Qantas magazine. There's a full page ad um, promoting the corporate vaccinations program, and that'll be repeated again next, next month. But what that is about is to catch the eye of the HR managers of, of um, corporates and, and business to uh, contact the Guild so that we can put them in touch with their local community pharmacies who will be able to uh, do uh, the, the sort of vaccinations for the organisation as a whole and really just try to capture so many more Australians uh, so that uh, the 2020 flu season is uh, not so bad. Chris Bowen also addressed the dinner attendees and he said that the seven CPA needs to address access to primary care because one in five Australians say that they wait too long for a GP appointment. Women and people who live in disadvantaged areas or the bush fare even worse and that contributes to the pressure on our emergency departments where presentations are at record highs. How do you see community pharmacy helping to address this? Because it is a community challenge, but it's also one of that presents an opportunity, doesn't it? Absolutely, Daniel. Pharmacy really is the first port of call for a lot of people. And I think sometimes unless you've experienced being in an area where it maybe is difficult to access health services, this is an issue you don't fully understand. Um, before coming to Canberra, I used to live in, in Brisbane, very close to the CBD. And um, frankly, I had a number of GP um, clinics very close to us. Uh, it was not a drama to get an appointment within 24 hours to see a GP. Unfortunately, when I moved to Canberra, though, it was a bit of a rude awakening that um, to get an appointment within 24 hours was um, an absolute rarity. And, uh, and, and especially if you wanted to visit your same uh, GP each time you'd go, it was uh, even more difficult. And uh, in the last few years, I've actually moved uh, into a, a regional area um, uh, over the border. I'm in New South Wales now. And, uh, and uh, although, mind you, with the size of Canberra, it still only means I'm you know, less than <laughs> half an hour from the office. But uh, if I wanted to see my same GP, I'd need about five to seven days um, to be able to book in. Now, you'd like to think your three-day lurgies probably pass through in that time. But I can absolutely drive to all three of the pharmacies that are in my closest town and immediately be able to talk to a pharmacist and, and get advice. 
And it's not that I'm saying a pharmacist is going to be doing what your GP does, but it does give an opportunity for the pharmacist to be able to triage uh, the people that come in. And absolutely, there'll be times when the pharmacist will say, you need to see a doctor and you need to make an appointment or maybe even you need to go to hospital and present at the emergency department right now. But often it may just be, oh, look, there's, um, you know, some easy things we can do to address, you know, your wound care or your pain management or, or what have you, whatever might be going on. And, and so it just really is important that we open up those discussions and dialogues about what is it that pharmacy can do with our pharmacists working to their full scope of practice to ensure that the healthcare needs of everyone in the community is being met and an interesting thing that I've learned since getting here is that more than 60% of the pharmacies uh, in Australia have consulting rooms in them. So private rooms where a pharmacist can step aside with a patient and uh, in the privacy of the consulting rooms, be able to meet with them and talk about their individual circumstance. But it also provides a great opportunity for maybe other um, healthcare providers, even uh, say, um, you know, a uh, a diabetes educator could come and meet with somebody in the pharmacy in the private consulting room. So it does kind of set the pharmacy up as being being a, a bit of a hub in the community where other professionals can come to. And I've also heard that there's, oh, I've got to get the statistic wrong, I think it might be 56 or 57 towns in Australia where there is a pharmacy, but there is no uh, GP, there is no doctor in the town. So, you know, for those pharmacies, it's really critical that they're able to be a hub for the people living in that region. And maybe um, things like telehealth might be opportunities that we're able to, to tap into for people to be able to come to a pharmacy and via the telehealth setup uh, connect with uh, maybe mental health uh, experts or, or, or doctors sort of that are remote from where that uh, individual and the pharmacy is located. So, so I think there's some great opportunities on the on the horizon. And so I suppose that the Guild will be really interested to keep talking to members about how we can support them in those opportunities. Now, in your first couple of weeks, you've also attended your first Guild National Council meeting kind of feels like it's a game of Monopoly and you're collecting all the little property cards across a little <laughs> region. Now, so it certainly has been a baptism of fire for you. And I know that you can't divulge the discussions from around the boardroom table, but what things will you take away from that first experience? Look, I think there was a terrific uh, collegiality in the room. Um, I must admit, I'm a bit of a governance professional and I think the lawyer in me, you know, likes a bit of good governance. And I couldn't wrap my head around originally uh, such a large national council, like a large board coming together. And I, I suppose I also thought, you know, this is interesting when a lot of them are coming from uh, the same kind of skill and experience background. But what I actually witnessed around uh, that boardroom table was, you know, a tremendous sense of collegiality amongst them, enormous passion for the role. Uh, they're all extremely giving of their time because, as you can imagine, it's a massive commitment for what they do. The National Council meetings alone, you know, go for all day, over two days sort of thing. But um, because they are all small business owners, they really each bring a, a, a tremendous gift of skills and experiences and, 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 and uh, you know, other sort of studies and learnings to that table. So 
um, it, you know, it, it's sort of ignorant to think that their, um, uh, you know, pharmacy is their only skill they're bringing to the table as small business owners. They were right on top of, you know, managing the budgets and looking for opportunities with um, government projects and initiatives that we might be able to participate in and looking for opportunities for the members to, you know, support a more vibrant pharmacy sector. So, no, it was a, it was a great experience, but you're absolutely right. I have hit the ground running in three weeks to have covered so much from conferences to, to, to council meetings and, and uh, delivering the address the other week and the, and the annual dinner. It's been, uh, it's been very busy. Well, I'm sure all the listeners are hoping that you've got some time now to catch your breath a little bit. And I know that you'd be excited about the work ahead of you in your new role. So finally, what would you say are your priorities for the year ahead with the Guild? Look, I think for me, success is going to be that I've really established that good working relationship, that there's a deep sense of trust and faith in me uh, to work with the National Council and to lead the Guild and uh, and so that the members, you know, the members really have that sense that, um, that, you know, they've got terrific support in here and they've got the faith in me to be the person to achieve that for them. Uh, at the moment, though, obviously, the big thing that's kind of on everyone's lips is the negotiation for the seventh community pharmacy agreement uh, that's kicked off. So uh, I'd like to think that that uh, lands on a, a very successful outcome. And uh, uh, and I'm sure with the passion of the people from the government that we're talking to and the passion of the, of the Guild members and in our negotiation team, that that will be a terrific result. And so I suppose... Therefore, my other sort of objective in that time then is that we really have a, a stable organisation and that I've got a full understanding of all the various arms of the Guild. It's, uh, we seem to have lots of fingers in lots of pies with uh, Guild Super and Guild Insurance and all these other terrific ways that we support the members. So really, uh, what that success for me is going to look like is, are the members happy? We need to make sure that we've got them well supported and uh, and uh, I'd like to think that I'm the person for that job for them. I uh, I, I actually had the privilege when I was quite um, young, still a teenager, that uh, back then the Johnson & Johnson group of companies used to run a thing every year called the New Leaders Forum where they used to bring uh, sort of youth together from all around Australia and, and bring um, together sort of really inspiring speakers to sort of motivate us. And we had the opportunity with the New Leaders Forum to kind of write our own career mantra. And and what we settled on was that we wanted leadership to be values-based, vision-driven and inspirational. And so that's always been my career mantra and I, and I believe that that's what I bring to the Guild in uh, in how we'll be supporting the members here. Outstanding, and I'm sure everyone looks forward to how that progresses. Suzanne Greenwood, Executive Director at the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, thank you so much for taking some time out of your, no doubt, very busy schedule to share with our listeners. Oh, no, thank you, Daniel. It's been, uh, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Suzanne, for sharing both your background and your key objectives within this role. It is clearly evident you are passionate about community pharmacy and the opportunities for this industry into the future, but also committed to engaging with Guild members and helping them meet their business needs. As Suzanne touched on, there are several resources available to help community pharmacies within their Guild membership. So please go to the Guild's website, guild.org.au, or speak with your brand today to make sure you are accessing the numerous tools 
and resources available to help you. Suzanne also touched on the Guild CP2025 Framework for Change publication that outlines the nine growth pathways to help inform business strategies. If you would like more information about the framework and the nine growth pathways, visit guild.org.au forward slash CP2025. I've been your host, Daniel Loyston, and you've been listening to episode 30 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.